Have you ever felt like you're in chains? You feel like that now? Like you're in chains right now? Maybe chained to something difficult or something that's just taking forever or something maybe painful, something uh, monotonous in your life. Maybe you're chained to something like arthritis or uh, a job or lack of a job. Maybe you're chained to a relationship that's toxic or broken or even just sort of empty, hopeless. Or maybe you're chained to your worries or your regrets or your guilt, chained to uh, all those woulda, coulda, shouldas in your life. You ever feel like you're in chains? You feel like that right now? Well, for all of us who do, uh, for all of us who know what it's like to feel chained, I think God's word to us today from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians is really going to pack a punch. I hope it does. It did for me. Because first of all, you should know that the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to the church in Philippi, the Philippian church. He's writing it in chains, like literally. Paul is writing this letter shackled to... uh, uh, to a, a prison guard. He's shackled literally in prison chains, basically for being a Christian and for telling people about Jesus Christ. And so this letter, Philippians, uh, this is the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, which was uh, a major city in ancient Greece. I've got a few quick fun facts for you. The first one is that this, the church of Philippi, is actually the first Christian church in Europe. Another fun fact, Paul was the one who planted this church, who started it on one of his uh, missionary trips. And our last fun fact is Paul adores these people. Uh, This is by far the warmest and the most affectionate uh, of all Paul's New Testament letters. So Paul is writing to a church of people that he loves very much, and the people there They love Paul too, and Paul knows that. And he also knows that, by now, that they know that he's in chains. And they're concerned about him. They're they're worried about his health and how he's being treated. And and honestly, they're wondering whether Paul's uh, even going to survive this. And Paul also knows that, because he's in chains, that the Philippians are also worried about the gospel. That, that the good news of salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to be derailed by this. They're worried that Paul's mission to spread the gospel of Jesus will be stopped. And so Paul writes them a letter in chains. And over the next few weeks, as a church, we're going to be going through uh, the whole thing, this whole letter of Philippians. But today is just a little snippet of it, a a sort of an introduction, uh, basically an introduction maybe to the person who's writing the letter. We're just going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, that's great. If not, the words will be up on the screen. All right, Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, 
Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being in chains, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is God's word. Now, when the Apostle Paul writes this letter, he's obviously in a a pretty rotten situation. I mean, he's in chains. He's literally chained to an officer in the Roman Praetorian Guard. And now the Praetorian Guard's main job basically is protecting Caesar. So they're sort of like maybe Rome's secret service. But anyway, these guys were elite, like like the, the best of the best. And so Paul was chained to one of them, one of these Roman secret service guys around the clock, 24-7, no breaks. Now, the guards took shifts. The guards would change, uh, but, but Paul was always chained to whoever, whichever one of them was on duty. So he had zero privacy. I mean, he, he couldn't have any conversations in privacy. He couldn't go to the bathroom in privacy. He couldn't sleep in privacy. I mean, th- th- this, was, this was awful. And if that wasn't awful enough, if it wasn't dehumanizing enough, being in chains also meant that Paul's missionary trips were permanently on hold. Uh, his career, his calling as, uh, you know, to, as a missionary to, to plant churches and spread the gospel, now he's literally chained down. And he can't go anywhere, so he can't do it. He can't plant churches and to top it all off, maybe this is worst of all, is that pretty much any time Paul could have been put on trial and executed. Now just, just think about that. Waking up every day of your life wondering if this day will be the last. It's awful. I mean, Paul's life had, had gone sideways because he's in chains. But when he writes his letter to the Philippian church, uh, it's fascinating that he doesn't dwell on any of that. He, he doesn't have a pity party. He doesn't focus on himself. He doesn't focus on his chains at all. Instead, his, his first concern is to reassure them, reassure the church that, that, that his chains are not stopping the gospel. In fact, he tells them that, that shockingly, it's the opposite, in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, that what has happened to me, this being in chains, has really served to advance the gospel. Now, now here's what he means. Uh, basically, he's saying, you know, I want you to see, oh, Philippian church, that what's happened to me, being in chains, even though it's really bad, has actually resulted in some good. Why, he says, because the whole Praetorian Guard, the the whole Roman Secret Service knows about the gospel. Now, Paul lives to spread the gospel and plant churches, and and in a million years, he never would have signed up to, to, to be stuck preaching to the Praetorian Guard. But think about it. I mean, he's... He's got a captive audience for his evangelism. I mean, sure, he can't get away from them, but they can't get away from him. So two or three times a day, some hard-nosed, awful, mean-spirited, pagan, Praetorian guardsman 
changes shifts and he gets chained to the most persuasive evangelist in the history of the world. And one by one, they're getting converted. And Paul's essentially saying, you know what? I, I sure wouldn't have planned this. I, I, I sure wouldn't have asked for these chains. I don't want to be in chains. I, I'd get rid of these chains in a heartbeat if I could. But God is still advancing the gospel. And Philippian church, you need to know that. People are still coming to faith in Jesus. So some good is coming out of this terrible situation. What's bad, the chains, has provided an opportunity for what's good. The gospel being heard by people that Paul in a million years never otherwise would have reached. So Paul's chains have allowed the gospel to advance. But, and, and, and this, is, this is so important here, so please don't, don't miss this because there can be some confusion. What Paul doesn't say is that bad is good, Okay? You got that? That God can use what is bad and bring good from it, but bad is always bad, and we should never pretend that it's not. I mean, Paul never says that any of the wrong done to him was right or good. He never claims that his chains were anything but bad. But instead, he says that God took something that was so clearly bad and brought something really good out of it. And that's an intense idea. That's intense enough uh, in and of itself. And if you think that's intense, just wait, because Paul doesn't stop there. He, he, he actually doubles down on this idea. He, he, he escalates this idea, ramps it up. Because if you look down uh, a few verses after our text for today, in verse 19, he says this. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, these chains, will turn out for my deliverance. Now, honestly, the word deliverance here, we're going to have to nerd out for just a second. Uh, that word translated deliverance there is not a great translation. Okay, now let me tell you what it literally says. The way that Paul wrote it in the original language says, what has happened to me, these chains, will turn out not for my deliverance, but literally, he says, will turn out for my salvation. It's the word salvation. Deliverance isn't the best translation there. It should be translated salvation. I mean, literally everywhere else in the New Testament where this word is used, it's translated as salvation. And you say, well, yeah, but so what? Well, I'll tell you so what. The reason this matters is because that when, when you read it like uh, our NIV Bible has it, it looks like Paul's saying, guys, Philippians, I know that by your prayers and by the spirit of Jesus that I will be delivered from these chains, that I'm gonna get out of these chains. I'm not gonna be executed, I know that. I'll be out of here soon. When you translate that word as deliverance, it looks like that's, that's what Paul's saying, but it's not. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all because literally what the grammar tells us is that Paul's actually saying I know that through your prayers, Philippians, and through the spirit of Jesus, that what has happened to me, these chains, will turn out for my salvation. So, so, so here it is. He's not saying, I'm going to be saved in spite of these chains. That's not it. What he is saying is, I'm going to be saved 
because of these chains. I'm going to be saved because of these chains. Now, if you didn't say, whoa, right now, if the hair didn't stand up a little bit on the back of your neck, uh, maybe you're not paying attention. Because Paul just straight up said that these awful chains will turn out to save him. And, and, And if you don't believe it, just look ahead a little bit more to verse 20, where Paul says, whether I live or whether I die. See, at the end of verse 20, he says, yeah, I might get out of these chains and live, or I might not get out of these chains and die, but it ultimately doesn't matter because I know that whether I live or whether I die, these chains, that this terrible time in my life will turn out to save me. Listen, what Paul's talking about here, I mean, it's, this is a funny way to describe it. I get it, but I can't think of any other way to do it. This is advanced Christianity. This is advanced stuff. I don't know what else to call it. This is, a, this is groundbreaking stuff. Because Paul's basically saying, look, I am chained to this Praetorian guard, to the Praetorian guard here, but you know what? I'd rather be going, planting churches and doing my thing all throughout the known world, but you know what? I'm still rejoicing because I know that these chains are saving me. They're making me more and more into the man I want to be. They're making me more and more into the person that God wants me to be. They're refining me. They're they're, they're maturing me. They're making me uh, more tender, more, more loving, more humble, more courageous. These chains are making me more like Jesus. And so, I mean, this isn't just Paul saying that that God can bring something good out of something bad. No, Paul is saying that that God is using these terrible chains to bring something good out of him. Something good in him. Paul is essentially saying, I need this. I, I know I need this. And I'm telling you, again, this is advanced stuff. And the reason I keep saying that this is advanced is, is because, you know, it, it isn't, this isn't the kind of thing you hear and you go, oh, okay, 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 now, now I get it. Cool, that, that's how I can deal with feeling like I'm in chains. Cool, I'm gonna totally start doing this tomorrow. No, this is not an easy thing. This, this is advanced. This is, you know what this is? This is greatness, okay? What you're seeing here is greatness. Um, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, and I'm paraphrasing him here, said that the greatest thing, the the greatest show of greatness that that a person can display is when they look around at a world that's gone sideways on them, and they look around and they don't see where God is or where God is at work, and yet they still trust him. He's right, this is greatness. When the Apostle Paul's life goes sideways, when when he's literally in chains, he's not falling apart. He's not crushed. He's not devastated. That doesn't mean that he doesn't weep or that he doesn't struggle or that he isn't grieved by this. Of course he is. But this is where it leads him. This This is where he takes it. He's saying God is using these chains, which is maybe the hardest part of his life, God is using these chains to bring some good out of me. 
Paul says, I might not see it now, but I know it. I might not see it, but I know it. This will mature me. This will make me more like Jesus. And now, I mean, I get it. This is a pretty, pretty big thing to try and wrap our minds around, that, that the chains in our life are working to mature us and to make us more like Jesus. So I thought that in order to help us with this, sort of wrap our minds around it, that I'm, I'm going to give you the best example of this uh, that, that I can think of. And this example comes to us from, honestly, I think what is one of the truly great spiritual masterpieces of our time, The Karate Kid. Okay, Karate Kid is an 80s movie. It's about this kid, skinny kid named Daniel LaRusso. And Daniel moves with his mom from New Jersey to L.A., and uh, he, he gets there, and he hits it off right away with this girl at school named Allie Mills. But Allie's ex-boyfriend, Johnny Lawrence, wants to get back together with Allie, and so he gets all ticked off when she starts hanging out with the new kid, Daniel. So Johnny and his Cobra Kai karate buddies start bullying Daniel, and they beat him up pretty good. So Daniel wants to learn karate so that he can defend himself and honestly to give Johnny a little payback. So when Daniel finds out that the maintenance guy at his apartment knows karate, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel asks Mr. Miyagi if he'll teach him karate. And at first Mr. Miyagi doesn't want to, but he changes his mind once he sees just how desperate Daniel is. So he tells Daniel then to come to his house first thing the next morning, and he'll teach him karate. So Daniel goes to Mr. Miyagi's house before the sun comes up, and man, Daniel is raring to go. I mean, he's ready to learn karate, he's ready to train, ready to fight. And so Mr. Miyagi takes Daniel outside, and he can't wait for what comes next. And Daniel looks up, and he sees this long row of dusty, dirty, classic cars, And then Mr. Miyagi says, to learn karate, you must do everything I say. First, wash cars. Then wax on, wax off. With right hand, wax on. With left hand, wax off. So that's how Daniel spends his first day of karate training. Chained to a bunch of old cars. Wax on, wax off, all day long. When he's finished, Mr. Miyagi tells him, good job, and to come back bright and early the next morning. So Daniel shows up again, and maybe he's not quite as gung-ho as he was the first day, because he'd been chained all the day before to washing and waxing all those cars, but he still is desperate to learn karate, and so, so he shows up. But once again, Mr. Miyagi chains Daniel to more long, boring, monotonous work. And that's their routine. Every morning, Daniel shows up at the crack of dawn to learn karate, and every morning, Mr. Miyagi chains him to some kind of long, boring, exhausting work. First, it was waxing the cars. Then, it was sanding Mr. Miyagi's wood floor. And then, it was painting Mr. Miyagi's house, and then finally, painting his enormous fence, both sides. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, Mr. Miyagi is so stinking picky about, uh, I mean, Daniel's not only chained to the jobs, but Mr. Miyagi also chains him to the ridiculously precise technique that he has to use to do the jobs. Wax on, wax off in broad circular motions. Sand the floor in tight scrubbing circles. Paint the house in precise side-to-side motion and then paint the fence in a brisk up-and-down motion. And by this time, I mean, seriously, Daniel is over it. He's had it with being chained to, to this meaningless work. He's sweaty and he's got blisters and he's exhausted and he's basically ready to blow a gasket. And so he confronts Mr. Miyagi. He gets right in his face and he says, You told me you would teach me karate. And all you've done is make me your slave. The only thing I learned is how to wash your stupid cars and and sand your floors and paint your house and your fence. And Mr. Miyagi says, not everything is as seems. Daniel says, forget it. I'm going home. And he leaves. And Mr. Miyagi says, Danya son. Daniel ignores him, just keeps on walking. Then Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel-san, come here. There's steel in his voice. And Daniel turns around and comes back. And then Mr. Miyagi says, show me Santa Floor. And so Daniel shows him motions. Mr. Miyagi says, show me wax on, wax off. He does. Show me paint the fence. Daniel moves his arms up and down. Show me paint house. Daniel's arms swing side to side. And then Mr. Miyagi just stands there, staring Daniel right in the eye. And then out of nowhere, Mr. Miyagi attacks Daniel, uh, kicking, uh, punching in, in, a, in a violent flurry of fists and feet. And Daniel, out of nowhere, out of the clear blue, Daniel blocks every punch and every last kick. While Daniel was chained to all that washing and waxing and sanding and painting, it turns out that Daniel learned and developed the muscle memory for karate's eight-point blocking system. These long, boring, exhausting jobs and the ridiculously precise way that they were supposed to be done, Daniel had been chained to these things And it taught him karate. He didn't even know it. Look, I know that sometimes we all wonder, you know, if our lives have any real meaning or significance. You know, we feel like our lives are just so lame and boring and and, and monotonous. And and sometimes we we also wonder why God seems so stinking picky about certain things. Like, Like, do we have to do things exactly like this or just like that? Or we can't do them this way instead of how we think we should do it or really how we'd like to do it. But listen, 
This is when the Lord wants us to remember that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says this. These are Paul's words just a few verses earlier in Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So that means then that God is using the things that you feel chained to to accomplish his good saving work in you. God is using your chains to do good work in you. God is using all these things we talked about, all the difficult, the painful, monotonous things you feel chained to. God is using your arthritis and your money problems and your dead-end job and your lack of a job. God is also using that, that toxic, broken, hopeless relationship you're chained to. And God is definitely using your worries and your guilts and your regrets and all those woulda, coulda, shouldas that you're chained to. That's the idea that Paul's giving us here today. No, that's the gift that God is giving us here today. The gift that he's giving us through the words and through the life of his faithful servant, Paul. The gift of knowing that God uses our chains to bring something good out of us, and something good in us. That we need this. That this will mature us. That this will make us more like Jesus. Whether we know it or not. It's a gift of knowing that God, who began a good work in you, will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that means that one day you truly and fully will be the person that God always meant for you to be. One day, you will truly be not just with Jesus, but also like Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together.